Hello, and welcome to Diminishing Returns, the show where we discuss a film, and then we pitch our own ideas for what the sequel ought to be. This week we are taking a look at Pacific Rim, the Guillermo del Toro, Kaiju, Jaeger, Rock'em, Sock'em, Smack'em, Whack'em action movie from uh, a few years ago, because Pacific Rim Uprising is out soon. I think we mentioned this in the episode itself, but just to make it extremely clear, we recorded this ahead of the recent Oscars in which Guillermo del Toro won uh, Best Picture and Best Director, I believe. So that doesn't factor into our discussion as much as it would have done had we recorded it afterwards. Uh, This episode contains spoilers for Pacific Rim. Enjoy. Yes, it's Pacific Rim. I am Sol, and with me, as ever, are a sort of big, brutish monster thing, Alan. Ah, good evening. And I can't think of a thing for Calvin. I was wondering where you're going with that, like uh, just some uh, scaly, slimy creature that crawled out of a crack in the ocean. That's the only other thing that could have been in relation to Pacific Rim. But hello. 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 Oh, hi. Right, so we're doing Pacific Rim. Yes. Why? There's a new one coming out. Mm. It was touch and go there for a while. Didn't know if it was going to happen, but it is. Those international numbers were, were strong enough. Well, no. if we... I mean, okay, let's get straight into this. I, I didn't really know anything about Pacific Rim. So when I watched it, I was... Pretty blind. I kind of knew the basic concept, and I knew it was Guillermo del Toro, which made me think, oh, okay, maybe it's not as shit as it sounds. That proved to be false hope. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm really intrigued to know what you guys make of this one, because Alan's obviously going to hate it, but I can't (laughs) quite tell with Calvin. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, no, I I really didn't like it either. (laughs) Really didn't like it. This is the thing on paper... You should like this, Calvin, because yeah, it's the sort of stupid nonsense that Resident Evil is, but done a lot better. No, I don't think it is. But I did have a sense that you wouldn't like it. I think the production values are better, but in terms of story yeah. and action, it's not bad enough to make me... It's not like Transformers. Like I can watch Transformers and kind of enjoy it on some level. This, it just... I, I This felt devoid of any kind of fun. Really? Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and it was so po-faced and really, oh man. So I mean, I, I, if, in case it's not clear, I like the film. So I guess I'm going to be its defender. Sol, you've got a definite <laughs> thing for kaiju creatures, mm. uh, but other than that, what are you getting out of this film? Well, I, I, I was so excited for this film before it came out. Um, obviously, Guillermo del Toro is at the helm. It was very much a sort of passion project for him. It's a big, but you know, it's not one of his dark gothic romance films that he makes such as this is going to be out after the oscars episode isn't it yes okay so there's a there's a chance we'll be talking about an oscar winner after um but anyway like guillermo del toro is uh he's very much a filmmaker who kind of does one for you one for me and i mean they're all for him but he does a kind of hollywood blockbuster and then he'll do something really offbeat and odd and smaller and this is very much him trying to do a marketable hollywood 
film, which is mm. somewhat ironic because it didn't perform that well. But yeah, before it came out, I knew it was I knew it was Guillermo del Toro. I knew it was a load of like kaiju stuff. As you say, I I really enjoy a good giant monster movie, but they're very very difficult to come by because other than the first Godzilla, the hundreds of sequels are appalling, and there's just not a lot of good ones out there. And this film just seemed so unashamedly campy and fun before it came out. I mean, for fuck's sake, they've got um, GLaDOS voicing the computer system. You know, the... um, I don't know what that is. You know the computer villain of the Portal video game series? No. I remember you telling me about all this, Calvin. You you were telling me how good the story was, because even though you hadn't played the games, you read them on Wikipedia. This was years ago. I've since oh. played the games, and she is a great character. Well, anyway, GLaDOS from the Portal games is a little fan-favourite thing, and she's the kind of automated system voice, and they do the same... I think they had to get permission from the people involved, because they apply the same um, audio effects to a voice and everything. I don't know, it just looked like really good fun to me, and, and I, I'll admit I was actually quite disappointed with the finished film, because it wasn't like mind-blowing, but I, I think it's solid good fun. And I can't for the life of me understand people who kind of turn their nose up at it for being silly, because of course it is. It knows it is. That's sort of the point. I don't know about silly, though, because I... I'm not surprised that you don't like it. I just, I've <laughs> seen a lot of people criticise it for being, you know, just utter nonsense, but then they will like some other nonsense film that, like I say, I don't feel is made as well, isn't it? Well, the the basic concept of, look, here's some giant monsters, let's build a giant robot to beat them. I'm all right with that. I could get, yeah, I could yeah. get on that. It got silly for me when they had the wacky scientists. Oh, oh I love the wacky the scientists. They're the best part of the film. <laughs> yeah. It just didn't fit with the rest of the film. And when they came in, I was like, oh, right, so this is, like, right, so this is a kid's film. This is like kind of a Power Rangers thing, um, mm. because they were so broad, the rest of the film didn't quite match with it. It was weird. I think not only are the wacky scientists like the best part of the film, but I think the film's well aware of that, because it, it seems far more interested in following Charlie Day's character's arc than the very, very bland protagonist of the film. I completely agree, but I, I mean, I, I, I think they feel completely out of place with what's going on elsewhere yeah, in the film, exactly. but I love them. They're my favourite things in there. Yeah, I never felt like they didn't fit. I think because they're, they're kind of supporting cast. The main guy is Charlie Hunnam. Yeah. Uh, and his story. But basically, they're, what are they, Sol? I mean, you probably know this better than me. They're big robots. And in order for humans to operate them, you must have some kind of strong connection with a person stood next to you and you control different halves of the robot. Is that the gist? Yeah, there's giant monsters coming out of the Mariana Trench uh, from another dimension or something. This weird portal rift appears in the ocean they keep coming and coming and they realize it's going to be an ongoing thing not just a one-off uh so earth bands together and builds these absurdly huge robot mecha suits to combat them but they're so complicated uh they use like a a neural link up so that you kind of just think to operate them essentially and they're so complex that you require two people's brains working at once to to operate them because a single person doesn't have enough brain power and therefore you have to have these people that are very like highly attuned to one another and capable of working Mm. in a team and i thought actually that that was a really nice little element thrown into the mix to make it a bit more than just 
people in robot suits. I like that too, actually. And this was sort of near the beginning when I was still kind of like open-minded approach this film. I was on board with that. I liked that. It was kind of a nice little sci-fi kind of detail. It was believable uh, in, in this story world that that is something that could be done, like a scientific science, future science thing. I don't think it really paid off because I thought there was going to be something about this shared consciousness that was going to be very fundamental to the plot. There is. Which it wasn't. It was just more of an emotional... Go on. It's massively important to the plot. Charlie Day, scientist, uses the technology to like try and figure out what the monsters are doing, and accidentally like lets the hive mind know all about it. It's massively important to the plot. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll give you that. But no, I was thinking. I was thinking more in terms of like Charlie Hunnam and nothing. Yeah. Was, yeah. Well, no, it's, I, nothing I happens with this character, really, does it? No. <laughs> so, no. I think. But like the fact that his brother got his dead brother was stuck in his head, and like, I thought that was gonna. Yeah. It was just to give him a bit of. Trauma backstory, mm. wasn't it? I, I I agree. There's not there's not enough made of it in a kind of protagonist's emotional journey sense. It, it feels like that should be a much bigger part of the film than it is. But yeah. But then they do say like, oh, it's someone you've got to have this really good connection with. That's why like the most of them are brothers or something like that. Mm. Father and son. Oh, here's some strangers. Pick one that's going to be your partner. Like, let's find <laughs> out who you've got a good link with. Like what? Yeah, I I, I agree. It's like speed dating. <laughs> yeah, but I, I I agree. I I could go with it more if it had to be a family member. It had to be a significant other, someone that you had. A, a, like, I get that they go through this training program and whatever to try and build a relationship with this other person. But it's um yeah, I I think it would have been stronger if it was just exclusively family members or people that you cared about. I don't know. Yeah, but you can grow to like and care about someone. But when they first. When they first put the idea forward, I thought they were saying you have to have shared memories, like shared experiences. She was like these brothers who grew up together and sort of had these shared moments. That's mm-hmm. why it worked. Calvin, how many of your work colleagues are like close friends? Or Ooh. how many of your close friends are work colleagues? Uh... I mean, we like, put it put it this way, we were just thrown together in a university course and like out of 70 odd people, like we just happened to like you know, the three of us bonded and got along relatively well. I, I really don't think it's that much. I would of a love to see uh, the three of us try to pilot a giant <laughs> robot together. I begin to imagine how that would go. <laughs> but I, I don't think it's that much of a stretch that um, you get a load of people in a room and some of them will kind of have a connection and bond really well. It's there's enough. Look at the population of the planet; it keeps going up. People keep shagging; they won't stop. <laughs> I'll tell you what, one of my main problems with it, and maybe this is why I've never really connected with a lot of kaiju films, is that the monsters, they look cool and they're big and they cause a lot of destruction and stuff, but unless there is some kind of plan or some kind of puppet master or villain or ah. someone doing something behind the scenes and controlling them, because otherwise it just it's a wild animal running no, there is. rampant. What what is it again? That's the twist of the film, and it's one I quite like, is that initially you think they are just wild animals running rampant, but after the mind-meldy bit, it's revealed that they are... This is like a planned invasion, and there's some big monster kind of... They're just the scout party to kind of clear the humans out. Yeah, no, I didn't care for that, because that's still... The same thing as, like, in Independence Day, the aliens are trying to invade, like, they are trying to take over, but I I don't know if that's terribly appealing. There's um, no personality behind it, a villain. 
I guess, yeah. I, I don't mind that. I mean, that's just a personal preference thing, really, isn't it? I, I do think, mm. I watched the trailer for the new one today, actually, for the first time, just to make sure that my pitch wasn't stepping on its toes. And mm. uh, they seem to be going down this route a lot more. In the trailer, another Jaeger shows up that isn't one of theirs. And, like, there's Jaegers fighting Jaegers, so there seems to be some nefarious... Uh, people who oh and at one point someone says something along the lines of like someone had to let them in like for them to get back into the our world so there's definitely a bit more of that in the new film from the look of it but obviously that's doesn't affect this one hmm. but yeah this is like this is often my problem with i'm sure we'll get on to talking about i mean i've not seen the original godzilla but the most recent hollywood version one of my main problems with that was i'm just basically looking at two giant things fighting on screen and the humans are relatively insignificant. We're following these character stories, but at the end of the day, they're not going to do a whole lot, are they? The most recent Godzilla was bullshit, though. <laughs> um, mm. But no, I, I mean, I, at, I, at least Pacific Rim, it is people in a robot, you know. But then Power Rangers is bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why the original Godzilla is so great is because the monster is a backdrop for a human story. Mm. And. I think that is absolutely the way to go with making this sort of film, generally speaking. Um, I think this film attempts to do that, but like I say, the protagonist is sort of very dull and bland, so uh, it mm. doesn't work as well as it might, but um, mm. the the woman is okay. <laughs> Can I ask, is it is it appealing that the robots and monsters in this thing are very big because this is something that i see talked about on like mm. kaiju uh related discussions where the size of the things is like really important to some fans and i just i just don't care how big it is because it's not real <laughs> why do i care i think once you get into the realm of it being giant then you know it could be a hundred feet it could be a thousand feet it doesn't make any difference it's like like if it's massive and it can step on you then it doesn't really change anything and i'm sure some people are judging the size of these things against each other and going oh amazing this one's so big um mm. but i mean one thing i'll say actually against this film is it i don't think it conveys the sense of scale that well um, no it doesn't mm. More towards the the middle and the third act. When you get them of... smashing buildings over, that's all right. No, that's what I'm talking about. I think I think scenes with like scientists looking at the big monsters, you get a good sense of scale. But I think the the action scenes largely feel like it could be normal sized people in a miniature village. You know, it it doesn't quite feel like a. Mm. You never quite get that sense of scale, I think, personally. Um, yeah. It feels yeah, very much like a video. Like, I had a Godzilla video game when I was younger, and it was a fighting game, but you could tell that it was built the same way as any fighting game with, you know, characters so big, and then everything else was just comparatively small, and it kind of feels like that in this film. And I don't know why that is, but. Guillermo del Toro, just to bring him into the mix, I was kind of waiting and waiting for, for like, something a, a bit better to kick in because Guillermo del Toro, he, he creates yeah. very interesting worlds uh, and usually quite emotionally deep stories. I would argue this is one of the most interesting worlds given to us from the director of Blade 2 and Hellboy. <laughs> but, uh... Well, I would argue that you're wrong. <laughs> so there. Because I, w but I was really waiting for like another level of story to turn up where it became mm. something more. 
than just a big robot fighting a big monster, and it never did. And I kind of realized that halfway. I was like, oh, yeah, Guillermo del Toro, take the money. Yeah, as I've said repeatedly, I just kind of, I think it's a good example of that kind of thing. This is what Transformers and Resident Evil should aspire to be, in my opinion. I was going to say, just if, if what matters is the action sequences, which I don't think there are enough of, in the film i just i find them very dull and maybe it's because they tried to stay faithful to the size of these things so everything kind of moves slowly and it's hard to get a lot of dynamic action in that uh yeah i mean i'm not massively i don't know i wouldn't say what matters is the action necessarily it's just like well what does if it's not the characters then well, I like the supporting cast. I like the broad strokes of the story insofar as, like, the monsters are coming and everyone's got to run away. I, I... This film wasn't marketed on, look, there's Charlie Day and Bern Gorman camping it up as crazy scientists. It was very much sold on this is a fun action romp. Well, yeah, that's probably why it didn't make much money. <laughs> well, it didn't in the States, but it did worldwide, as I think we've uh, yeah. already covered. Yeah, but just because a film sold one way doesn't mean anything well yeah but then, i mean so is all the only thing that you like in here charlie day and burn gorman no i i i like most of it. i i mean I, I like the the world that's built i like the premise i like the majority of the supporting cast i like the production design the monster design i don't dislike the action um i i particularly you know i like the little touches like the joke with the little balls clacking away and stuff that probably pissed off Alan for some reason. I, I saw this film um, a few weeks ago when it was on Netflix because I noticed it was going to be taken off relatively soonish, and I didn't go back to it for the sake of this recording because I thought that I'd made more substantial notes than I actually had. I actually <laughs> only made three notes. <laughs> I, we, they're, they're kind of broad, but I think we can maybe talk a little bit about each of them. My first note was, looks kind of cheap, sets, picture quality. I and I do remember uh, thinking it looked remarkably cheap, like uh, almost quality TV. Is a weird one. Um, I think. Well, I I don't know. If pick pick. Just um, misusing terminology because I think Guillermo del Toro's films, or at least all the ones I've seen, do have a kind of artificial look to them. Like I, yeah. look, I feel like I'm watching sets, and sometimes I don't mind that. Like in Hellboy and stuff, it's I know mm. he's a big advocate for letting the craft appear clearly on screen. He wants you to take in all the sets. Mm. He wants you to take in all the makeup and uh, monsters and whatnot. But it did look like it was made on. It was made for TV. I mean, I wouldn't go that far at all. I, I, um, I, I must admit, I, I, I saw this in the cinema when it came out, and I thought the effects were perfectly fine. Uh, I oh, rewatched yeah. it earlier for for the sake of um, refreshing myself, and you know, the the effects didn't hold up nearly as well. But I did get oh. the sense that I was missing out on a lot of the detail almost from watching it on mm. a much smaller screen. And I, mm, I that's think, pretty. True, I think there's yeah. a degree of artistry about this that sells it um, mm. that's maybe lost elsewhere. I definitely wouldn't say it looks like a TV production. I think it looks far more expensive than that. But I think the action sequences, the stuff with the robots and monsters all looks good, but it's the human bits. I don't know, there's something kind of just cheap about it. I don't know. Uh, I, I watched this on a 13-inch portable TV, um, and it looked fine <laughs> to me, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> My next note was having trouble differ differentiating all these bulky blonde guys. <laughs> I think there was a lot of well-built blonde men. And I was having trouble sort of who with who's who. I knew Charlie Hunnam, obviously. But, you couldn't uh, keep up. Yeah, but 
There's the main one. There's his brother who dies, and then there's like some Swedish or German siblings or something, aren't there? Yeah. Could I? Did, I thought one of those was his brother for a while, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> there's, there's Australian and cocky Australian. Is that? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. My last note was love that at the end she just leaps into the water as if that armor wouldn't weigh enough to sink a person. <laughs> I think at the end, does she jump into the water? It's, it's designed oh, yeah. to be in the sea. Is it? Well, I assume so. These things go <laughs> in water. Well, it's designed to be free-flowing so they can fight. So Yeah, yeah. It's got to be... That's just futuristic material, isn't it? Mm. I've got a general note here that I thought they really missed a trick, and it's based off the back of when we watched The Maze Runner, um, that I just think this is a perfect setup to have this as like a young adult film. Yeah. Make that main character fifteen, and and just type in a story. Yeah, only like a young mind is powerful enough to be able to handle a robot. <laughs> Boom, mm-hmm. and it's perfect. And then I think you get away with so much more. I think because this thing is this film would is made for that audience. So like, why not just go all in? Well, I don't know why you want to watch a load of like teenage boys running around so badly. I, I, well, I don't really uh, care what, um, how old they are. They don't have to be boys, you sexist, misogynistic pig. I think it, I think what you're saying makes sense. Like it would it would be marketable in a way that it probably isn't, but it doesn't affect my viewing. But I also think you get away with a lot more. It's like in the Maze Runner. It's like I'm willing to let go of this sort of the character stuff because they're just. Like young no, kids, I wasn't. Uh, you know. hold them to the same standard as a grown-up film. No, like I, I really agree with Alan. Like, if you want to make like just the the difference between like this or something like Power Rangers or Maze Runner is so thin. And I think if you want to make a grown-up kaiju film, then make it. I don't think this is it. I don't think. It... I don't. No, but I don't think this was meant to be a grown-up kaiju film. I think it was meant to be a campy, cartoony bit of fun. And... But who's it for? Well, people who. That would enjoy a nice bit of campy, well, cartoony kaiju fun. Yeah, but you, you you don't sell a film on that in marketing. Like, you know, like what demographic is this age? Yeah, but who who cares about the marketing? Like, but the marketing people. Like, <laughs> the people who want the film to make money. Yeah, so let them worry about it. Why are you so concerned about whatever company made the film lining their pockets? I'm not. I'm trying to get an answer from you, because I think what Alan is saying is really... Uh, I, I really agree with. I think if you were to market this film at younger people, and yeah, put a 15-year-old in place of Charlie Hunnam, then maybe it would feel more natural. Um, I, I don't disagree. I, I think it would probably be a lot more obviously marketable with a, a little kid or a teenager in the lead. I just don't see how it affects our enjoyment as how old the person is personally. I don't I think it's just because if I was watching this film and going, oh yeah, this film's made for kids or made for like teens or whatever, I'd kind of go, okay, yeah, that they're doing that and I get it, but it's not for me. Yeah. Whereas with this, I feel like this is aimed at a more general audience and so I'm looking at it and going, that shit. <laughs> I just don't know who it was made for. If anything, I always like it when I feel like, who the fuck was this made for? I do in some cases. If anything, that makes me enjoy a film more, because it's always like, I can't believe this was even allowed through the system. Like, <laughs> fair enough. Mm. Yeah. I have, a f- I have a couple more questions, general plot things. Um, so when Wacky Scientist number one, he manages to work out that the kaiju are all clones of each other, and they all have the same DNA... And he kind of presents this as his big revelation, which I don't know why it's taken five years to work that out, um, but whatever. Everyone like goes, well, we haven't got time to sort that out. I mean, that's not, uh, there's no way that could possibly help us in any way. We've got to build a big robot. 
And it's like, surely yeah, that a is a big, that's a big moment. That's a pretty big thing to work out. Like, this feels like this should be really big. And the other thing is, why did they stop building the robots to build a big wall? And then the wall is immediately smashed down by the first thing that comes along. And then they're still going, no, no, we're just going to build the wall. It's going to be fine. Well, <laughs> are you intentionally doing some satire here? or? <laughs> well, no, but it just... Because, <laughs> I mean, let's let's just see how... How the next few years play out with uh, <laughs> that <laughs> wall, shall we? <laughs> so it, there was little plot elements. I mean, like the film never just... portrays the wall as a smart move, does it? It is sort of like this fucking government are putting all their hope in this but stupid that's... wall, and it doesn't make any sense. But it doesn't make any sense. And then you've got Idris Elba, who's like a general who's gone rogue because there's no go- giving any money anymore. He's like, well, I don't need money. I've got uh, robots. Um, yeah, it's chaos. There's monsters coming in. The, the, like, the world would be chaotic. Why? Because they're the all come together to fight the monsters. It. The economy's gone to tits up because everyone's got to, like, work together now. So, like. Laborers would be earning a mint. Well, are they? Maybe in order to make it viable, they've had to, like, severely cut laborers' rights and pay. And it's, you know, everyone's very disillusioned with their work and it isn't. You know, that's why the wall wasn't built to acceptable standards, because the labourers were just cutting corners every opportunity they got. So, about this, um... <laughs> the, uh, the girl, the female mm. character, she wants to be a pilot. She's got a really good mind link with Charlie Hunnam. Yeah. But Idris Elba doesn't want her to fight and thinks she can't fight because she's too emotional. Uh, a silly emotional woman, she is. And he turns out to be absolutely correct. But... He got Lado over there with his bloody dead brother, like, hanging on his shoulders. And he's perfectly fine to go. That, apparently that's fine. What's the, what's the logic there? I mean, Idris Elba's probably a bit sexist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, shall we say that the character he plays? <laughs> In case any lawyers are listening. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'll happily accept some beef with Idris Elba. No, you don't want beef with Idris Elba because he's he'd like come around and smack you in the face like he wouldn't. Yeah, but it would end with us going out for a pint and being mates. I'd be right with it. Okay. So, would you say for you, Sol, it is a switch your brain off sort of film? Um, about as much as I'll yeah, about as much as I'll find a switch your brain off film that I enjoy. Yeah, Yeah, because you've rallied against that phrase in the past, so I'm curious to know if this is sort of your sweet spot for that kind of... This is is to you what Resident Evil is to me. Well, this is it. I I don't have to, like, actively ignore anything to enjoy this film, because I think it is crafted well enough that it largely holds up to scrutiny. It just obviously isn't very interested in being more than that. And I, I think, you know, that largely seems to be why you guys don't like it, because it isn't particularly... It doesn't do the best job with its sort of emotional character side of things, but everything else sort of works and is No, put I don't think the properly. action works. I mean, they're already moving slow enough as it is, and then when they put them in water at the end, it's just like, oh, God. <laughs> I think you... I, I tell you what, again, going to the trailer for the new one, the action looks noticeably better. Hmm. Um, it looked a lot faster. There were lots of quite uh, inventive new bits of uh, like weaponry and stuff being used by the suits. So The suits look more personalised in this one, or at least I can tell them apart from the, you know, look, looking at the poster. 
They mm. seem more like Transformers of the later Transformers films, where they all look like, okay, that's your sort of <laughs> good on defense, but low on speed. That's yeah. your one with a sword. I really hated the ending, by the way. Yeah, of... yeah, I'll, I, I, I'm not going to defend the ending. <laughs> okay, it yeah. Me. What happens How there the is... Um, Charlie Hunnam survives, and uh, his partner is happy about that. And that's the thing. It, what I, I think it would be a great ending if he died there. The fact that he gets yeah. out to live another day completely ruins it. And he's not even coming back for the sequel, from what I can gather. So what was the point? Yeah. They've got John Boyega as the lead now. Yeah. I believe. Idris Elba's son. But Charlie Day and Bern Gorman have come back. Yes. The crazy scientists. Thankfully, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, who who is... I, I know Charlie Day. Do you, are you guys familiar with Charlie Day? He's um, in the Horrible Bosses. I've seen him in stuff. I've seen him crop up in one of the things. Isn't he in Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Isn't that what yeah, he's, he's well known that, for? He's best, known as, he's best known for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, I, I believe he writes that with uh, uh, three of the other cast members as well. Um, and that's very much his day job and has been for like the last 11 years or so. Uh, and it's a very good show. Alan, you would enjoy it. You should watch yeah, it. Yeah, I've heard very good things. I've never got around to it. But he... I mean, he pops up in stuff, but he never really seems to... I mean, he, he's good. He's put to good use in Horrible Bosses, but it's a very disposable, albeit, I think, very good for what it is, comedy. But he, he, he pops up in films and he seems to struggle to get like decent parts. And I, I like him in this. I think it's quite a good use of him. And it's a bit of a, a counterintuitive casting choice in a lot of ways but yeah i just I, I i like him here like i say he's he's never really clicked in most roles i've seen him in in films it's always been a bit weird because he's not a conventional actor he's he's very much i mean that that whole it's always sunny group had to like cobble together this this show that they write and then got to be in to backdoor their way into hollywood so I, that's, yeah but yeah who's the other scientist calvin what's Bern gorman See, I, I love him in this, but I don't have a clue who that actor is. And I remember looking him up after I saw the film and not recognising him. I think he first came to prominence because he was in Torchwood, the Doctor Who spin-off. And he's right. got... He's he's a very distinctive... Yeah, mm. he's a very distinctive looking guy. So whenever he pops up in a film, I'm mm. very aware of who he is. He's been in quite a few like Hollywood sort of films recently. I would cast him as a young Herbert West or son of Herbert West in, in a reanimator movie. He's he's got a real <laughs> oh. cult yeah. appeal about him. I'm not quite sure. There is sure. something, yeah, about his look. I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, I'm just looking at his filmography now. It's in the second Johnny English film, The Dark Knight Rises, Crimson uh, Peak, Layer uh, Cake, Fred Claus as an elf. <laughs> Alan, I bet you like Fred Claus, don't you? <laughs> well, there's a, an element that I like. <laughs> <laughs> What about Ron Perlman? Oh, he yeah, was good. He was, he was I forgot enjoyable. about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a post credit scene, isn't there, where he, because there's uh, one of the kaiju things eats him at one point, yeah. and the post credit scene is him bursting out of the creature, I believe. There was talk of, like, a big uh, Pacific Rim, Godzilla, King Kong crossover yes. somewhere down the line, and it was all going to be happening in the same universe, but I'm not mm. sure how valid that is anymore. I think a producer somewhere said it's a possibility it's a very real possibility and we're talking about it because this is the thing it's the same company isn't it are currently building their monster verse with kong mm. skull island and the shitty recent godzilla and mm. they're building to kong uh king kong versus godzilla 
So given that they also do Pacific Rim, it does kind of make sense that you would hold out to smash them together down the line for a sequel when people are losing interest. And I think fair enough, it's not like any of those franchises are, you know, I don't think it's beneath any of them, (laughs) put it that way. Mm. That's pretty true. Um, I felt like there were a lot of video game influences on the film in general. It, it felt very part of this new wave of films that's taken video game design on board, um, particularly in the sort of set design and, and what have you. But Well, yeah, yeah, from what you were saying earlier on about the uh, video game computer voice lady that mm. they had in, I guess, yeah, you know, if, that, if you notice that, then great, and this film's probably for you, but... I guess Guillermo del Toro's a big gamer. Yeah, I mean, Portal's one of the most mainstream popular video games ever made. It's not like an obscure thing, but... Yeah, uh, I like the kaijus looking a bit shark-like. They were sort of like hammerhead kaijus and different types, and they a lot of them look very shark. Yeah, and there's a crab by. one. I figured the point of that was they were taking DNA from creatures they found near their cavity and uh, and we're kind of combining them to make these big things. I assumed that was the idea behind it. I do think the film would have benefited from a wider variety of different kaiju though, because they're all ultimately big lizard looking things with mm. like humanoid proportions uh, roughly. They're yeah. not like, there's never like a giant octopus or a, a something a bit weird. I don't know, it, it felt like a bit more variety would have benefited the film, yeah. but then I guess it's they can do that in the sequel, can't they? And and I liked when the robot tank suit thing used a boat as a big club at the end. <laughs> That's my last note. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. I thought it was decent fun. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> How much would you give it out of ten? Oh, it's a senior sevens, this one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I suppose that. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't amazing. It's was solid, good fun. Yeah. What about you, Alan? I gave it three. Ah, Ooh. okay. Well, I'm, I'm... <laughs> that's, that's less than you gave Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> hmm. uh, I gave it four. Oh, I mean, I just, you guys like the Maze Runner. Come on. This is, this is <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, what would you do if you were Guillermo del Toro or Stephen S. DeKnight? Well, actually, I can. If we go straight into mine, that's a good segue because oh, my my pitch is basically that this just didn't feel like a Guillermo del Toro film to me. So my pitch is to put a a proper Guillermo del Toro spin onto this idea. First thing, I want to make it a period piece. Um, you want to get some of that retro futurism that we love. So I would enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking like late sixties, maybe early seventies, and because it's del Toro, it's going to be like Franco Spain. Uh, yeah, let's 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 do um, like medieval. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, I guess that. Yeah, let's go proper old school with it. That'll work. You establish, uh, you know, the monsters they're attacking like once every month. People, of the world having to come together to find a solution. Blah blah blah. Um, now all the creatures they look different. They're different designs and everything, but they are all kind of particularly tall and thin with kind of big eyes. It looks suspiciously like Doug Jones, basically. Oh, okay. They all look... They create the giant robot soldier things. Robots are controlled by humans, but uh, then the neural link and all that. 
Wait, is this set in medieval times? <laughs> well, obviously they, not. They build a giant suit of armor. Go on then, you you can you have to convert it. <laughs> to, all right. How do they do a it's new a giant link? suit of armor? And it's all like it's analog rather than digital again. It's all like gears and mechanisms. Oh, yeah. oh I want to see like, some cogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robot. And, and there's like there's like a hundred you know men working <laughs> it, pushing it like to make it all. Like, there's like a captain calling the shots, but then like a like an old slave ship. There's just loads of men. Yeah, and they go left that forcing up. it to move. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone's running around a big wheel, hoisting thing. the chains. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, oh, yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> what I had was um, uh, a twelve-year-old girl uh, controlling it, <laughs> called Maria. Because you know. Okay, so that's <laughs> fine. It's just she's like a princess who's ascended to the throne at the age of twelve. <laughs> Yes. The royals and how it works. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I did, but I did think like they could because like you you want to think they have to use like young minds, malleable minds, but to find out which ones are best and which ones are best suited to it, they put everyone in a maze uh, and attack them with things, and then the ones who escape, they're the ones with the good minds that that can control robots, right? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know where Wait, I got so that idea your, from. Your attempt just... to make this more of a Guillermo del Toro <laughs> product is to rip off the Maze Runner. Uh... I'm sure that's his favourite book. Yeah, you... <laughs> other than Frankenstein, which he never shuts up. Yeah, you about. just you do it like that, but then you just make it, everything a little bit green, and that's really arty. So we got <laughs> we. <laughs> So yeah, we we see her this this girl. We see her go through the training, background story. She, I wanted to get like matched up with a like her personal robot. You get linked with her a bit more of an emotional connection with your robot. It's like your thing. And I thought it'd be good if the robot was played by Ron Perlman, um, <laughs> but with like bits of metal stuck on him, so it looks like a robot. He's like going, "I am a robot." <laughs> I think Ron Perlman would be particularly good at that. Uh, blah blah blah. It's the same plot. Everybody else fails. Maria manages to save the day by not only defeating the monster, but also like plugging up the breach where they're all coming from. And the whole thing is like a coming of age story, which is, you know, mostly an analogy for menstruation. Huh. Yeah. Um, Because my idea is just like, if the entire appeal of this sort of thing is just seeing big things fighting in cities, then just do like a Koyanis Katsi like Fantasia version of that and just oh, score a load of huge robot action sequences to classical music. I thought you were going to say uh, just do a museum and I was getting really excited. I'd love that. A museum? Yeah, just big monsters in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> my my pitch is a museum. Yeah. Okay, yeah, my pitch is a museum. <laughs> it's a massive museum. Sold. It's huge. It's got to be big to fit all these things in. A massive kaiju zoo. There will be a statue of me in front of the building. <laughs> and I will invite guests along. Welcome to... Uh, um, what's it going to be called? Kaiju Jurassic Park. Oh. <laughs> Calvin Dyson's Kaiju Jurassic I was going to say, as if Calvin's not going to put his name in the, <laughs> in the title. I, uh, yeah. Calvin World. <laughs> Okay, Sol, what would what would be in Calvin World? Well, uh, what? Uh, all right, Calvin World. You'd have the original dentures, <laughs> like some just some big like they're they're the gates you go in, like the gates of the what? big gap. In the what teeth. you mean, my teeth before I had Invisalign treatment? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. So that's that's, that's the, the gate you like have to walk. Start. The big entrance you, you, yeah, walk, you walk through. through the big gap. Yeah, and okay. and the, it can allow three hundred people to pass through at once. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
All the staff are 45-year-old women who are six foot tall. I'd like to have Kelsey Grammer in a case. <laughs> a glass case. <laughs> I think Kelsey Grammer and David Hyde Pierce should have a sort of residency on the stage. Doing like a, <laughs> just performing live episodes of Frasier. Brilliant. Three shows a day. You got yeah. You got to have the Hall of Bonds. Oh um, yeah, a big repository of Bond memorabilia that you can mm-hmm, go and mm-hmm. see. Uh, all limited edition to three hundred and fifty pieces. <laughs> Fish and milk at the restaurants. There's, there's a there's a massive gift shop. You get like halfway <laughs> into the park and there's a gift shop and then there's like you, you can't move for just gift shops <laughs> trying to sell you like rubbish. What are you talking about? <laughs> Why is that me? I'm, you're saying I'm some kind of crass capitalist. <laughs> Looking out for that, that bottom line. Oh yeah, there's a there's the studio lot tour from Universal Studios that's just been like removed and rebuilt brick by brick with the Psycho House and the, <laughs> the, the Jaws that covers up and like attacks the the car. Okay, so as as someone who's supposedly likes this film what is your pitch for a sequel i mean why are you casting <laughs> aspersions about my enjoyment of the film i don't even it, understand what it helps me to not think less of you as a person <laughs> you liked the maze runner <laughs> pacific rim yeah more like terrific rim am i right no, hey. no, you're not right. Oh, I wish I was having a terrific room right now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, we made it this far. Uh, okay. Oh. Um, so, yeah. Do women... Oh, <laughs> what, what, what? Let's just Come on. It. Let's just no, it. Come if you get the Come right on. one. <laughs> what was it? What was it? Come on. Do women like that sort of thing? Um, what sort of thing? Rimming. Giving or receiving? Both. Well, if you, you know, if you pick the right I one. I mean, yeah. does anyone really, I mean, I'm sure they do, but it's, it, it's more, it, it's not something you do for yourself, is it, really? Well, I would if my back wasn't as stiff. <laughs> um, it's, it's something that, like, yeah, women do. And, and... Anyway, so what's your pitch, Sol? It's just the, the thing is, like, I, I don't think, I don't think it's that commonplace to do it on a woman because there's a another bit nearby that makes a lot more sense to do that to, and it's generally feels better, I think, because it's designed for it. Depends what you're into. You're saying all those nerve endings that end around the. Uh... Oh, sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, whatever bit you're referring to, I'm pretty sure it's got fewer nerve endings than the female clitoris. So yes. <laughs> You'd never know it, though. <laughs> Clitoris. Alan, what's what's your mum called? I <laughs> um, just thought I'd do a shout-out to her, because she'll be enjoying this <laughs> discussion. <laughs> anyway, so my pitch is a rare instance of me actually doing a legitimate idea for a sequel that could actually feasibly occur. Um Ooh. And it's probably not that interesting as a result <laughs> uh, to you too, particularly. Uh, particularly. So at the end of the first film, uh, this guy, uh, Charlie Hunnam, he, he goes through the little time-space tube, plops out the other side, and then he leaves. But uh, we've established that that's a viable thing. So 
the basic premise in the sequel is similar to the actual sequel. Years later, some monsters start popping up again. Only, like, small ones to begin with, but it catches everyone off guard. They get really worried because uh, they thought they'd solved things. And it turns out that a new rift has been created for these things to get in through. And we'll we'll put it in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean this time for a bit of variety. <laughs> uh, and so the, the shit's back on, right? So... All the Jaeger people start prepping to like strike back whilst they can. Uh, they they get a team of their best and brightest together. They build a machine that will allow them to pass safely into this other world. They basically send a, a sort of troop of Jaegers in. Let's like say you know a good hundred or so Jaegers, like tank things and walking things and what have you, all captained by a big a big. Uh, uh, a centurion, I suppose, if there's a hundred of them. They're, they're going there with a plan to cause mass extinction and, and wipe the things out, so they're, they're, it's like a proper bit of warfare. Mm. Uh, and, and to try and make it a bit different from the end of the first film, I, I've decided that it'll be like a germ that they're going to distribute into the water supply or something like that okay. that they've manufactured. Your film is put together in a kind of the style of like a classic World War Two film with like your troop behind enemy lines, you know, as they um, group of Jaeger pilots go into the enemy territory and, and have a load of fights with them, making their way through the alien landscape. And uh, yeah, that's 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 it, really. Is it is this like does the end of this turn out to be like and we were the monsters all along uh, because we um, go in there to their world and destroying them and they have to build a big wall? I mean, possibly if we if we get to a point where yeah, we, maybe they meet a civilian uh, kaiju with like a little baby kaiju along the way, <laughs> wearing like a, a sort of headscarf and crying in foreign language, and you know, one of them shoots it dead, and they're like, "Oh, that," you know, and they build that way. But no, I don't think so because they're, they're all clones built to kill us. Aren't they? So, <laughs> so they don't, they're not going out. into wind hearts and minds. They're just no, killing. no wipe them out. All right. That's a nice message. But obviously they don't wipe them out, because then how can you make the third one? Uh, uh, Indian rim. (laughs) Mediterranean rim? That's not an ocean. Oh, oh shit. Too small. Get like mini kaiju. Um, They're only like about 22 foot tall. They're quite annoying, but not deadly. What other oceans are there? Uh, Indian, Arctic, Atlantic, Pacific. Arctic rim, eh? Sounds cold. (laughs) This is good, isn't it? We're, we're like naming <laughs> oceans and saying rim. It's <laughs> high quality content. <laughs> anyway, are we done? <laughs> yeah, I think I think so. I think so. There you go. That was Pacific Rim. Hope you enjoyed Pacific Rim. As ever, uh, if you like that, please spread the word. Get diminishing returns out there. Go, go find us on social media. Go to dimreturns.com, our website. All the links to all the social media is there. There's some other stuff there. Get involved in the in the discussion. You know, did you did you hate Pacific Rim as much as Alan and Calvin? Did you think it was alright, like I did? Um, let us know. And do come back next week because... Obviously, Ready Player One's coming out. And uh, we're doing something rather unusual and interesting for us. A real change of genre, so to speak. So... See you next week. Bye.